Well, as we've done these last several weeks, I wanted to give you one last introduction to our character that we've been uh, using as our running illustration, Ebenezer Scrooge. And uh, today is the last in our series that we've entitled An American Christmas Carol. And uh, most of us have known the story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol story that came from Charles Dickens in 1843. And we finally have come to the last message that we're concluding on, and I want to talk a little bit about Scrooge's transformation. You know, Scrooge, as you will recall in these last lessons, I have used as a personification of perhaps the culture or the atmosphere we find even in America today. When Dickens originally wrote this novel, he was doing his best to use this character to somehow demonstrate uh, what it was like in 1843 London, England. And the interesting thing is, is that the reason this story is timeless is because men's hearts are timeless. In fact, the American mentality in many ways, whether or not you think it follows the same political or cultural issues of 1843 England, I can tell you this, that the carnal heart will always manifest because we're all born in sin. And all of us are born in such a way that that selfishness and that self-centeredness will manifest itself. Even in the book of the Revelation, when Jesus begins to speak to John on the Isle of Patmos, and he begins to send a letter to all the seven churches, the last church that he sends a letter to is the church of Laodicea. And many believe that that church at least typifies what the end time scenario may even be in the church that exists right before Jesus comes. And as I've mentioned to you before, Jesus was the one that looked at Laodicea and he said, you have eyes, yet you do not see. You have ears, and yet you do not hear. He says, you're clothed with clothing, but yet you're naked before me. And he looks at the church and he literally says to the church, repent, for I'm coming quickly. And so as we begin to conclude, I thought that there was at least a close connection between the person of Scrooge and so many people's hearts in America today. And I'll just say it again. I believe America is a great nation. I, I, I am patriotic and I love my country. I understand its history. I understand God's providence in its history. I understand all the potential America has and can have. But I will say it again that America is great not because it's a great economic power. America is great not just because we may be militarily great. America is great because we honor God, or at least we used to. And as long as we keep honoring God, we'll maintain our exceptionalism because whenever somebody honors God, he will exalt them. But the nation that refuses to honor God will be debased. And so as a nation and as a people, and even as individuals, we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus needs to find priority in our life. And so Scrooge... Scrooge receives these visitations from three spirits. And you'll recall the first message I talked about how Scrooge needed an awakening. And uh, he needed something to, to wake him up and to shake him into understanding what his life was all about. Secondly, I, I told you that he had to come to terms with his past. And a spirit showed up that took him on a tour of his past life. And how he was wounded and how he was traumatized. Even had father wounds. And all of that had to be dealt with. And then the, the third message, or last week's message, I talked about 
How he had to come to terms and get an understanding of his selfishness, his own self-centeredness. And now today we wrap it up and I've entitled the message today, What Change Really Looks Like. Because in America today, there's a lot of talk about knowing God. There's a lot of God talk. But the question is, we can talk about God. We can somehow uh, tip our hat to him. But the question is, what does real change look like? Scrooge was incredibly affected by his visits. And the one thing I like about this old version, this 19, I think it was 51 version, the one thing I like about it is that he looks at his own gravestone, his own headstone. He grabs, he grabs that spirit's uh, coattail there. And he begins to say, I am not the man I was. I am not the man I was. And he uses the term, I repent. I like that, repent. You just don't hear that word much anymore, do you? We hear about forgiveness. We hear about making a decision for Christ. At times we'll even hear about new starts, starting over. But I am amazed at times that how rarely you'll hear the word, repent. Repent. Why don't we all just say it once? Everyone together on the count of three. Just say it. One, two, three. See, it just doesn't really come out of our mouth much. Repent. I have come to believe that repentance is really the key to the heart of God. And I believe that repentance is the key to heaven's response to you and to me. Now, I realize these aren't Christmas passages. But I figured since I showed you a clip of A Christmas Carol and Scrooge that I'm still within the Christmas context. But in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, there's an interesting passage or two that I just want to read to you. And listen to what Jesus says. He's the one that said it. Luke 15, verse 7, it says, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy. Isn't that interesting? We've been talking about joy already. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who what? Who what? Who what? Than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Interesting. Then in verse 10, it says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I read that to you because I, I think it's just fascinating to note that probably angels can appreciate it when a person makes a decision to accept Jesus. I'm sure they're pulling for people to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers through His atonement on the cross. But the Word says they rejoice and there is joy when they see what? Repentance. Angels are joyful at repentance. They're glad if you walk down an aisle and you pray a prayer, don't misunderstand me. If you sign a card and you check the box and these things are good at times to happen, but it says that joy comes when they see repentance. And Scrooge says on our screen that he's ready to repent. You know, all through the movie, you can see that the visitations are working on Scrooge. As he begins to see his past and the wounds that took place in his life, and as he begins to be confronted with his own selfishness, you can begin to see that he's, 
He's being worked on. Something, something's happening inside of him. You can tell that he's not comfortable with what he's watching and what he's hearing. And, and, and he's starting to feel things again. He's feeling things like pity. He begins to pity people. He, he begins to sense sadness at what he sees. He begins to have shame for how he's lived. And I believe that you could make a case that he even begins to feel guilt here at the end as he is finally left at the place of his own headstone. However, it's interesting that all of this takes place and it's not until he's confronted with his own mortality. It's not until he finally realizes that he is not going to live forever. It's not until he realizes that there's a timetable on life and that there's a not only a start date, but there's a ending date to all of us that we find him using the word repent, repent. I, I'm ready to repent. Now I want us today, just as we're in this season to once again, be reminded that all of the reasons Jesus came, he came in order that we might have life and that more abundantly. He came in order that we who could not reach God on our own might be reached out to by God through Jesus. He came in order that we could get our connection right with God again. He came in order that we might have a relationship with Him. He came in order that we might not just succumb to the lifelessness of religious rituals, but that we might really cultivate a relationship with Him. He came for all of these purposes. Most of this is Christianity 101. But I want to step back and say to you that it was all, I believe, predicated on an understanding that He wasn't going to do this and just leave us the same way. He was going to do this in order that we might turn and move toward Him. That's called repentance. Let's, let's try to understand what repentance really is. Clearly understanding repentance. Repentance, I put on the screen, is really the key to the things of the kingdom. If you want to understand why God doesn't work in America at times like He works in other nations, I can tell you one of the reasons. There may be more, but it's this. We finally have developed in America because we so like, we so like the express lane. We so like things quick and easy and fast, without work, without sweat. We like it all of these ways. We finally have developed a repentance-less religion that we have salved our own souls with, believing that somehow God does not expect any longer any manifested change to go on in our life. And we need to realize that, that the reason some things in the Scripture aren't working in our lives. In fact, many Christians, if, if I could just put the, the quotations around it for a moment, many issues Christians face in their lives, especially lingering ones, stem from the fact that they never entered into true repentance. They circumvented it. Yes, they believe some of the important things of the Scripture and what it teaches us about Jesus. Listen to me. Everybody knows the story of the Gospel in America just about. We all know that He came. He, he lived. He taught us things. He died. He was in the grave for three days. He rose from the dead. Can I just share this with you? There's a lot of orthodoxy in America today. In fact, people would be sincere if I were to look some people eye to eye and say, do you sincerely believe that Jesus did these things? They would genuinely and sincerely respond to me. Yes, yes. But the problem is, while we all say we're sincere about these things, we begin to plug in the precepts of God's word. And in the plugging in of the precepts, we look at it and say, I don't get why it doesn't work. 
I don't get why it doesn't seem to be manifesting in my life like it says it's supposed to be happening. It says that I'm supposed to have this new life. I'm supposed to have an abundant life. I'm supposed to have a new power. I'm supposed to be healed. I'm supposed to be delivered. I'm supposed to be set free. I'm supposed to have joy. I'm supposed to have hope. I'm supposed to have peace. I've got all these things it says that I'm supposed to have, but it doesn't seem like it's working in my life. And I sincerely believe the right stuff. So why isn't it working? And instead of really digging to the depth and the core of the issue, we begin to change our doctrine to fit our experience. And so you've heard me say this before. We manufacture bumper stickers and we put it on our back bumper that says, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I hate that bumper sticker. Because you know what that bumper sticker says? It says, don't pay a lick of attention to how I live. Don't you even worry about how I live. The only difference between you and me is that I've got the get out of jail free card. I've heard this. I'm just a saved sinner. Oh, boy, you got to get back to your Bible again. No, you're not. You're a saint, the scripture says. You're a saint. I've listened to altar calls being given. Make a decision. Pray a four-sentence prayer. And then being announced, you're born again. Listen, you know, I, I don't believe in, in works righteousness. I believe we're saved by grace through faith. Believe me, I am, I am as Protestant and as Orthodox and as evangelical as a pastor can be. But our problem is the reason things aren't working is because we never entered into repentance. We are a repentance-less Christianity. And it's beginning to catch up to us. You see, the Christmas story isn't meant to just be cute. See, a lot of people put the nativity scenes out there and it's just kind of a cute story. It, it may inspire us and, and, and we read it and we're sort of, you know, whenever you put a baby into anything, it sort of tugs at your heartstrings, kind of gives you the warm fuzzies. And you know what? I'm sure it was a cute scene and I'm sure Jesus was a cute baby. And how many of you know there's no such thing as an ugly baby? At least nobody will say it out loud. Although we've all said, boy, aren't they cute and turned around and go, oh, I don't know about that. But we, but, 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 but a baby, I mean, who, who can't be warmed by a, a story about a baby? But we missed the point that Jesus was meant to transform us, change us, not just let us stay the way we are. So you say, well, pastor, what? What does it all mean? Well, let me just try to share some things with you, and I, I hope it helps you because ultimately, you know what we like to do around here. We want the gospel to work for you. Jesus did some things specifically for you. Now, that doesn't mean we, we yank him around, but what it does mean is, is that he provided a quality of life that was to be distinguishably different from the world. Amen? I mean, why would the world want the same thing that you're living if you're living under the same anxieties, the same upheavals, the same depressions, the same discouragements, the same everything, why, why would the world want it? I mean, I have to believe that God is, is a, he at least is a better marketer than that. I mean, I don't know that I'm all into marketing, but I think God can do a better job than that. Well, it's because we've not entered into all that he's asked. The meaning of repentance. For those of you that like this stuff, metanoio. 
just to know there's a word out there like that. It literally means, if I were to just to translate it a hard translation, it would be like this. After to think. That's the word for repentance. After to think. Well, what does that mean, after to think? Well, we would say it this way. After thinking about it, I'd change my mind. That's repentance. After thinking about it, I changed my mind. Now, can I just share that as I put that up there, and while that is a literal hard translation of that particular word, it actually goes a little bit, well, no, I'll, let me backpedal. It goes a lot deeper than just that. It's more than just mental acrobatics. It is a change of mind, but in that change of mind, it leads to a change of purpose and a change of action. Now, let's get a hold of this. Satan himself, listen, Satan himself was before the very throne of God at one time. Lucifer, in my understanding, was probably uh, the leader of the choirs and even the music, as we understand it out of Ezekiel 28. And, and we know that he was before the very throne of God. He stood in the very presence of God. Yet there was a day, the scripture says, that pride was found in him. And in that pride, he said, I will be lifted up and I will be like the most high and I, I will ascend to the throne. And I, 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 and God could not have that. And so uh, Satan obviously was cast out with a third of the angels, as we understand it. And, and the reason I tell you this story again is because there's been no one closer to the heart of God and to the voice of God uh, that's a created being besides Lucifer himself. And do you understand, and I stand before you today, and it, it's really true. Satan is orthodox in his beliefs. James as much as confirmed that when he said, the devils believe and they tremble. So you've got to understand that, that, that just because you believe the right stuff, which is important, don't misunderstand me. If your belief never translates into purpose or action, then you've not entered into the fullness of faith. Now, that's not works righteousness. It's just simply saying faith doesn't end with just the right thought. That's why James goes on to say faith without works is dead. He said, I'll show you my faith by my life, by my works. I can show you what I believe. All you have to do is watch how I live. And that's the part that's been circumvented today in our nation, 80% of America says, listen to this, this is not my poll, this is, this is a secular poll. 80% of America says that it believes in God. Come on now, get this. 80% of America says that it believes in God. But can I just suggest to you that if 80% of us really believed in God, then why in the world do we function in a culture like we do presently. 80% of America believes in God. It's interesting. In 1 John, which is really a great book, if you've never just kind of taken the time to read through 1 John and you're looking for something that can really help you, there's just a couple of verses here that I really wanted to point out this morning. 1 John 2.6 says this, He who says he abides in him, meaning the Lord, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, isn't that a simple verse? It's, it's simple. doesn't mean that you and I are going to exactly mirror Jesus because obviously there was a uniqueness to who Jesus is. 
and who he was even when he walked on this earth. But the whole point of the passage is this, is that if you say you abide in him, then there should be a distinguishable difference as to what happens in your life. Guys, jump to the next one, verse 29. It says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, again, what does that mean? It means this, that that if we say we're born again, if we say that Jesus lives inside of us, then there should be a practicing of those things that demonstrate the life of God inside of us. Now, I could keep going. Let's just go to three and let me just read a few of these three. uh, It's actually five. Well, we're going to verse 10. So guys, get ready. It says, and you know that he, meaning Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins. Amen. And in him, there is no sin. That's cool. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, again, you have to, it doesn't mean that there's errorless perfection. What he's saying here is that there's, there's a practicing of righteousness. All right. There's a difference. Nobody's errorless. I get it. It says whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins. And again, the context is practice. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Keep going. Verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. You know what that means in the Greek? Don't be hoodooed on this one. Don't you let anybody convince you otherwise. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Go on. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Keep going. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Again, practice. For his seed remains in him. And he cannot sin or practice sin because he has been born of God. Keep going. Verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, the reason I read this again and remind you of these things again is because that there is this distinguishable difference. Come on. If you invite Jesus, this is just Sunday school 101. If you invite Jesus into your heart, come on, let's get a hold of this. He's in here. Is he in you? Now, listen, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world, which means this, that if if he's living in me, there is a distinguishable difference in how life is lived uh, through me and in me and by me. He is in there. He's, he's assisting me in incredibly powerful ways to live in a way that is befitting a child of God. Now, does that mean that I can't stumble and triple? Obviously, I can take you through the scripture and show you people who stumbled, bumbled around. They tripped and they fell and they got up and they kept going. We're not talking. We're not talking about incidental sin. We're not talking about entrapment and being ensnared. I'm not talking about that. Oh, that we could get a hold of this. I'm talking about the practice. You can't practice You can't calendar. There are people who now live and they say they're born again and they calendar their sins. This weekend's coming and I know what I'm going to do this weekend, but I, hallelujah, I believe in God. I'll lift my hands in the house of God. I'll worship him, but I've already got it calendared. Can I just suggest to you, you don't calendar your sin if his seed is in you. You just don't do that. There is, there is a legitimate life transformation. And the verses that I read to you are just the tip of the iceberg, the repentance iceberg, 
when we receive the Lord, there's a change that takes place in our life. And, and the reason I spend so much time on this, it seems like I, I know I talk about other things is because if we don't start declaring it and preaching it and confessing it, as well as believing it, we'll never see it happen again in America. We can't, we can't let it continue that you're making a decision, but there's no change coming out of that decision. You just can't sign a card and just think, well, I'm, I've got my fire insurance policy. Come on now. Faith translates into action. Repentance. Now, sometimes it's important to understand what something is if we understand what it's not. All right? So what repentance is not? So we make sure we, we're on the same page here. What, what it... What it is not. It is not, number one, simply feeling guilty. Now, that's not repentance. Now, I'm not saying guilt won't play into the conversion happening. But it's not simply feeling guilty. You know, it's interesting. You read the book of Acts. There's a story in Acts chapter 24 when Paul is speaking before Felix, a ruler. And it's interesting that as Paul is sharing the gospel with Felix in Acts 24... You can begin to see just by reading the account that Luke writes in the book of Acts that Felix is feeling a conviction. He's feeling something at that particular moment. In fact, according to the scripture, it says that he sends Paul away and he says that he wants to think about it. And it literally uses the phrase, he says, I, I, I'll talk to you again at a more convenient time. Now hear me, he felt guilty. There was a sense of conviction. He, he wasn't ready to, to act on the sense that he had. And so he sends Paul away. He, he, he says he's going to deal with it at, at another time, at another place. And you need to understand that, that Felix, just because he had a sense of guilt and a realization that things weren't right in his life, that that does not mean that repentance has come into the equation. Now, again, repentance will have with it, I'm quite sure, some sense of guilt. But guilt in and of itself is not repentance. So you can't just simply feel guilty. Number two, it is not simply feeling sorry. Feeling sorry. Second Corinthians. Guys, maybe you have it. I may, I may read a couple of verses before that one because this is such a great passage. You ought to underline this. I hope you write in your Bible because this is one you ought to underline. Second Corinthians 7. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump up. Can you give me verse 8 real quick back there? Can you go back? Yeah. Come on, listen to this. It says this, for even if I made you sorry with my letter. Now, Paul was writing to the Corinthians and, and when he wrote that first letter, as you will recall, he was really nailing their hide on a lot of issues. And he, and, he, and he hears wind that they're feeling bad about it. They're feeling sorry about the things they were doing. Now listen, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Don't you love Paul? I mean, I mean, I mean he's getting emails and they're going, man, you made me feel so guilty. You made me feel guilty. We're living in an era that everybody, they, they want to be alleviated of their guilt, but they don't want to get alleviated the right way. They just don't want us, well, they want us to be tolerant. Just be tolerant of what I do. Because I don't want, I don't want anybody putting any guilt on me. Put guilt on me and I ain't going to be here long. Because I, I can't, I, I ain't going to deal with guilt. Well, this is what Paul says. He emails them back. He says, I don't care. I don't regret it. 
I did regret it. That's just a typical pastor when he reads that letter that says, you're doing this. You make me feel this way. Well, tough. You know, after a while, you kind of feel bad and then you go, well, tough. He says, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Next verse. Now, I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to what? You see, it's, it's good to feel sorry, but the question is, what are you doing with it? You're sorry for what happened. You're sorry for maybe what you did. You're sorry that you've offended God. All these things are appropriate, but what, what do you do with that sorrow? Well, Paul says, I'm glad that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Next verse. For godly sorrow produces what? Repentance that leads to what? Now you need to underline those passages. I'm telling you that is going to help you so much. For godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads you to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Let me just share this with you. There are two kinds of sorry. Two kinds of sorry. There's worldly sorry, and then there's godly sorry. Let me explain the difference between the two. Worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is like this. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. But internally, you're sorry that you were caught. You got caught. You didn't, you didn't cough it up. You didn't fess up. Conviction didn't come on you, and you said, well, I need to get this right. You were, you were sorry you were caught. Worldly sorrow is sorry about how messy your life has become. I've had people go, I've made such a mess of my life. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just sorry. I've, 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 other people are just hurt and they're wounded. And, 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 and I'm not saying that isn't true. And, and you, I'm not even saying you ought not feel sorry about that. But that's nothing more than worldly sorrow. How many of you know Paris Hilton was probably sorry when she went to jail? Now, I guarantee you, though, if you heard her interview on Larry King after she got out of jail, that sorry didn't turn or translate into anything worthwhile. How many times, how many times, Lindsay Lohan, do you go to rehab and you're sorry? But it never translates into anything demonstrable or distinguishable in your life. You see, that's how the world says they're sorry. And folks, I'm telling you, we aren't as high profile as some of the people I just mentioned to you, but a lot of times that's how we are. I've watched people for years. I've pastored since I was 24 years old. I've watched them for years being sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry about everything that's happened. And I'm glad you're sorry, but it's selfish sorrow. You're sorry because of what it's done to you. I made a mess of my life. I'm going to jail. I've lost my marriage. My kids won't talk to me. I'm so sorry. It's, it's still about you. It's not until you realize that you've grieved and offended God. See, we're sorry in America right now, not for the right reasons. I mean, God puts judgment upon us. How many thousands of people died on 9-11? How many people have been hurt through a recessionary period because we've walked away from God and we're sorry. We're sorry we can't pay our bills. We're sorry. We're sorry on so many fronts. We're, and, and, but it's because of us. We're, it affects us. And until we get to the place, people, that we're sorry that we've grieved God, then He'll move. Godly sorrow is I have offended the God of the universe. 
And it's interesting that when we can get to that place, it says that's what produces repentance and it leads to salvation. Interesting. So repentance is not simply feeling sorry. Or thirdly, repentance is not simply trying to be a good person or even a religious person. You know, we still have folks that think that repentance is a lot like building a credit debit sheet before God. Perhaps my good works will exceed my bad works and and maybe that'll tip the scale with God. It's interesting that there was a, a group of people during the time of Jesus that he had to deal with. They were his primary thorn in the flesh, to be candid with you, and their name was Pharisees. These Pharisees were the religious of the religious. They were the elite of the religious. And understand that they were doing, some of the things they were doing were instituted by God. Wasn't that everything they were doing that was wrong? And they were doing some things that were right. But the problem was they had developed this sort of debit credit mentality. And if they, if, if they did all of these different laws and, and, and different traditions and different things, that somehow they could merit uh, approval before the Lord. But the problem is, is that the whole system became convoluted and twisted and it eventually became the exact opposite of what God wanted from them. It wasn't that he, he doesn't care about our obedience. He certainly wants our obedience. But we can't even be obedient until we give him our heart. Because God doesn't want obedience flowing from the outside in so that you're constantly feeling controlled. But God says, I'll work from the inside out so that my commandments won't be burdensome on you because you'll no longer have your old heart. But within you, he said, I'll give you a new heart. And out of that new heart comes the want to. I want to serve God. I want to do what's right in his eyes. I want to live and please him. It's not, it's no longer, oh, I got to do this because God's making me, God's making me do it. No, there's the want to. And that was the Pharisees problem is that they kept legislating rules and laws thinking if they legislated it all, it could keep them right before God. And it's the same problem America is facing. We think if we just legislate away, if we just make more laws and more laws and more laws that will fix America and will fix society and will just pass more laws, which is laughable because we send a bunch of carnal hearted people to a city to pass laws that have no more effect on us than putting us all in a straitjacket, setting us in a corner and providing someone to spoon feed us. You'll never change a person and you won't change a nation until we change the heart. The heart's got to be changed. The heart's got to be changed. And so there was this group of Pharisees and, and the forerunner, John, and remember Jesus, I believe this, Jesus was reaching to the people of Israel. He wanted to really get them first, I believe. And so he butts heads instantly with this group Pharisees. And John looks at him and, and he begins, he begins to plow the ground in the religious system's heart. He begins to plow the ground by looking at them and saying that it was time that they bore fruits Worthy of repentance. Do you understand? These people were obeying hundreds of religious laws. And John looks at him and he says this. You've never repented. You've never repented. 
Folks, listen. The key to God is not finding the next formula to implement. Finding the next hoop to jump through. It's, it's laying our heart bare before the Lord and saying, Lord, I repent. I change, I change my mind about how I've been living and how it's been going. And I embrace you. And of course, I embrace your ways. And I embrace how that will be lived out in my life. And you'd be amazed at how all of a sudden what he says he will do begins to happen in your life. Now, let me just share a little bit about what true repentance is. What true repentance is. The short explanation I told you is, is really a U-turn experience. You're going one direction. Repentance means you're going another direction. Number one, I've already mentioned you are sorry to God for your sin. Are you really broken is really the question. Are you broken that, that you've dishonored God? We just don't find that much anymore, do we? We're not really broken about the fact that maybe we've, we've offended the Lord. Does it bother us anymore? I mean, it bothers us. I mean, if, if you would be bothered, at least some of you would, maybe some of you would, but some of you, if I were to find out something about you, it would bother you. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want pastor to find out about that. I mean, if pastor found out about that, what would he think about me? He would not probably look at me the same way. He would not feel about me the same way. He'd be disappointed in me. And I guess I'm, I'm glad there's someone that you might feel that about. And I would take that as a high honor that maybe that would happen. But do you realize that above and beyond me, there's a God? And, and that whatever it is that's going in your life that you think I would be disappointed in, has it ever struck you that maybe he might not be real happy with it either? Does it bother you? You see, as a culture right now, we're not very worried about offending God, are we? We don't care. We'll pull his name off of all sorts of things, off of public buildings, and we'll fight over Christmas and what's right in Christmas. And I know, I know people say, they say, well, you know, putting, putting a God we trust on the money doesn't really mean anything. And whether or not we have a crash at a public building doesn't mean anything. And I realize all of that doesn't mean we're a Christian nation, doesn't save anybody. I get it. I understand it. But, but just think for just a moment, if God was the one that established this nation, and if God was the one that providentially led those to establish it and create it and, and began to move on their hearts and helped us win wars and helped us win battles and kept us protected and all the things that our God has done. And then all of a sudden we determined that we just don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. I think it might just offend him. So as a culture, we've got to begin to be sorry to God for our sin. Number two, I believe we have to begin to be truthful about our sin. Psalm 32, verse 5. Listen to this. It says, I acknowledge my sin, this is David, to you, Lord, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Selah. So, so it's important in repentance that we're truthful about our sin. And, and, and the reason I wrote this down is because a lot of folks will say, well, I think I made a mistake. No, you didn't make a mistake, you sinned. Mistake may have human error that could go either direction, but sin was something that was wrong before God. Do you take responsibility? Do you not shift the blame? Be truthful. Be truthful before the Lord about your sin. And number three, a complete turning from your sin. Proverbs 28, 13 reads this. He who covers his sins will not prosper, 
You ought to underline that. Can I ask this? And I'm not saying, believe me, I, I, I grew up with some faith teaching, not a lot of faith teaching. So I understand how people get twisted in their teaching. But a lot of times people don't prosper because they refuse to come clean in the, with their sins. We're, we're sinning behind the scenes and yet we're telling everybody to pray for us that God will meet our needs and prosper us. And the whole time, the Bible says he who covers his sins will not prosper. Do you, do you think God will prosper a nation that refuses to acknowledge its sins? Do you think God would prosper a church? Do you think God would prosper an individual? I don't think so. And I believe in prosperity. I teach prosperity. I believe it's God's heart to prosper his people. But if you cover your sins, you'll not prosper. But whoever confesses and what? Come on, say that. And what? And forsakes them. You know what forsakes them is? Repentance. If you confess and forsake them, you will have mercy. You will have mercy. Can I just say this? And, and I'm just going to use... I, We've got to get back to forsaking sin. Forsaking sin. We don't, we don't teach some things anymore. We've got to teach forsaking sin. That when you're saved, we need to look people in the eye and say, you know what? You're, you're, you're saved. You, you did the Bible way of, of, of asking Jesus in your heart. And now he's going to enable you to forsake your sins. Forsake them. See, we've got people nowadays, they get forgiveness, but they go back into their sins. They, they, they come down and they go through the religious ritual, even in our kinds of churches, and then they run right back into the very sins that ensnared them before. And it's because somebody gave them the bumper sticker, you're not perfect, just forgiven. Can I just say this, that if you have trouble, if you have trouble uh, with alcohol and you're addicted to alcohol, it wouldn't be real smart to go back to the bar, don't you think? You say, you're one of those kind? Yeah, I'm one of those kind. It's time we forsook some things. It's time we understood that we got we to let go of some things. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be buds and, 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 and pals with the world. I'm trying to reflect my Savior. I'm, I'm trying not just to be relevant in the sense of my message. And so in my relevancy, I become like they are. But I want to be relevant because I'm becoming like he is. So what does repentance look like? And this is the part I want to leave you with. Just a couple clips here. What repentance looks like. Remember, the Bible says there's fruits to repentance. Fruits. So Scrooge begins to demonstrate some things. As uh, he comes to term with his transformation experience. Guys, if you're ready to run it, let's watch the screen overhead. Hello there, hello you, you boy, you. Me? Yes, you. Do you know the butchers in the next street we run? Oh, she doesn't know. <laughs> Intelligent boy. Remarkable boy. Uh, tell me, uh, they sold the prize turkey that was hanging there, not the little turkey, the big one. Well, come on, it's big as me. Yes. Delightful <laughs> boy. Uh, yes, my buck, the one as big as you. It's hanging there still. Is it? Very well, then, go and buy it. Walker. Uh, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in earnest. Tell the butcher to bring it here and I'll give him the name of the party he's descended to. 
Come back with the butcher and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> what a chuckling boy. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. That's what I do. He'll never dream where it came from. <laughs> now, let me see. I must have a label. Label, 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 label. 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 <laughs> it's, it's twice the size of tiny Tim. <laughs> Mr. Robert Cratchit, 2 Porter Street, Camden Town. That's you, Robert. These places no one else I know of. I think I know who sent it. Who? Who? Mr. Scrooge. Oh, dear, oh dear, whatever made you think it might be him? I don't know. I just think it. What would make Mr. Scrooge take such leave of his senses suddenly? Christmas? The first thing that happens when one enters into genuine repentance, write this down, is that there's a new attitude of joy. Come on now, say joy. You know, I never, I never, uh, uh, you know, phone in to Pastor Noah to find out, you know, what an exhortation is going to be on Sunday morning. And don't you think it's interesting that God would have just kind of impressed him just to say joy, joy, because you know what? That's what serving the Lord and walking in his ways produces in our life. It's a new attitude of joy. You see, there's this false image of repentance. Some people think repentance is this forever, you know, sort of self-loathing. It is true. It is true that you will initially sense conviction. You will sense this good guilt that comes upon you because you're sorry before the Lord for the way you've lived life and what you have done and all the rest. But here's the good news. The good news is His blood cleanses you from all sin. The good news is that as far as the east is from the west, so far as He has He thrown your sins. And so joy begins to enter in. All of a sudden, you're not the same person that you were. You become a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are not the same old man or the same old woman just wearing brand new clothes. No, you're not. I used to hear that all the time. Well, you know, you're the same old man and God just cloaks you in this new suit of righteousness. No way. You get a new suit and a new heart and you're a new man. Yes, you are. And there's joy in that. There's joy walking with the Lord. Now, are there moments that you're challenged and, and, and there are moments that you're in battles and warfare? Certainly. But there should be a joy that generally circumvents your life. There's a joy. When, when it comes time to give, like we saw on the screen, there's a joy in giving. You don't have to say, well, he's always wanting my money. Why is he always wanting? Hey, take it all. There's just a joy in it. There's a joy in your outlook because you got a future and a purpose. There's a joy in serving God. There's a joy being in the house of God. Nobody has to drag your sorry carcass to the house of God. You're saying, it's the Lord's day. He gave me a new heart. I'm not who I was. I'm a new person. I can forever give Him my life. And there's joy in these things. There's joy in the ways of God. There's joy in helping others. I'm here to tell you, I don't miss one day of, of, of my puking after a Saturday night drunk stupor. And the whole time I thought I was having fun. I, listen, there's more joy now than there ever was in that stuff. 
Think about it. How many nights of joy did you have in the jail cell? How many nights of joy did you have your whole body shaking because you're, you're, you're addicted and you're under bondage? How much joy was there when everything was falling apart, but now God has given you a new start? There's joy in these things. It's not a burden anymore. In America, we're trying to figure out how to take on the yoke of sin again and still feel good about our relationship with God and then wonder why the Bible doesn't work in our life when God's calling us out of this stuff to walk as slaves of righteousness, understanding that He will abundantly bless us when we determine we're going to walk in His ways and not those ways and have a good time doing it. Amen. Amen. Say, well, I, just, I don't hear this often. Well, you need to hear it more. Joy. Secondly, what does repentance look like? There's an attitude of humility. Watch the screen right here. An attitude of humility. accept your invitation to dinner. Too late? I'm delighted. Delighted. My dear, look who it is. Can you forgive a pig-headed old fool for having no eyes to see with, no ears to hear with all these years? Humility, that's a part of repentance. Repentance recognizes that you were wrong. There is an appropriate sense of remorse. You have the capacity to ask people to forgive you and you say, I'm sorry. Hey, let's try that because some of you, this will be the first time for some of you. Let's try this. I, you know, and, and listen, I'm just, I, I, believe me, I, I am, I, I, it's hard for me sometimes still to say I'm sorry. Can you say amen, honey? Yeah. I'll say amen four because it's true. Every count, count of three. One, two, three. I'm sorry. See, that wasn't too bad, was it? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the reason I think America is struggling is because there's no sense of humility anymore. 
We are strutting before God and acting as if we are all that when we should be humbling ourselves, which is exactly what the scripture says, that if we will humble ourselves and seek his face, then he will hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. So, so repentance has humility associated with it. And finally, I just want to leave this. It's also a demonstration of restitution. That's what a repentance has restitution. Watch this last clip here. And we'll wrap it up. Restitution. You're late. Sir. What do you mean by coming in here this time of day? Hmm? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time, sir. <laughs> you are indeed. Step this way, Mr. Clayton, please. It's only once a year, sir. It won't be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. <laughs> I'm sure you were. Well, we won't beat about the bush, my friend. I'm not going to stand this sort of thing any longer. Which leaves me no alternative but to raise your salary. <laughs> I hadn't taken leave of my senses, Bob. I've come to them. From now on, I want to try to help you to raise that family of yours. If you'll let me. Well, we'll, we'll talk it over later, Bob, over, over a bowl of hot punch. Hmm? Yeah. Meanwhile, you, you just go and put some more coal in that fire. You go straight out and buy a new coal scuttle. Isn't you do that before you dot another eye, Bob Crackett? <laughs> I don't deserve to be so happy. I can't help it. I just can't help it. Scrooge was better than his word. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city ever knew, or any other good old city, town or borough in the good old world. And to tiny Tim, who lived and got well again, he became a second father. Uncle Scrooge! And it was always said that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Restitution. And it's the last word that is so rarely heard. But it's a component of repentance, 
Luke's gospel, just one quick thing I want to point out. Luke 19, verses 8 and 9. Zacchaeus invited Jesus to his house when he saw the master walking by. And when Jesus came to the house of Zacchaeus, conviction came upon him. And it says here that... uh, that uh, Zacchaeus, in verse 8, would give half his goods to the poor. And he says, if he's taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. And then in verse 9, it says, and Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Restitution. You know why people took Zacchaeus seriously after years of living wayward, living as a a corrupt tax collector. You know why people all of a sudden took him seriously? It wasn't because he slapped a bumper sticker on his donkey's hind end. Said, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. No. It says that he restored half his goods to the poor. And he gave back fourfold, four times. What he had taken. I suspect when Zacchaeus stood up and gave a testimony in that town, they probably listened. You know why? It's because there were fruits of repentance. You see, the reason I think some people don't act saved. Have you ever heard that? Someone will go, well, I, I know they're saved, but they sure enough don't act like it. Well, maybe it's because they're not. So you can't judge people. You're right. I can't. I can't judge anyone. But I am allowed to know a tree by its fruit. Jesus said that. He said, you'd know a tree by its fruit. Good tree produces good fruit. An evil tree produces. He said, you'll know men by their fruits. We're not trying to make it hard. I've had people for years say, you know, listen to Pastor Baird, man. That's a rough old road. That's a hard gospel from Pastor Baird. No, no, it really isn't. His his ways are not burdensome on me. His commandments are not outlandish to me. Because something's happened in me that delights to love him and to serve him. You can't change, you can't change the ways to fit your life. The good news is God changes your life to fit his ways. I'm not here to talk you out of anything that God has done in your life, but I am here to say to you this Christmas season that as we celebrate God breaking through in this earth, in his son, Jesus, in order that we might know how life could be lived. I'm telling you right now, he's wanting to break in our hearts. Wanting to explode his life inside of us so that we'll forever be different. That we'll forever be changed. That it might be said of us that we keep Christmas every day of the year. Would you stand with me?